this is Nutrition Business Today. I'm co-host Izzy Davis. On today's episode, Tom will be interviewing natural products guru Bill Weiland. In this week's news, parent company of America's number one selling vitamins takes acquisition of a urinary tract infection product. Public giant nutrition ingredient company extends manufacturing in a major way, and another public ingredient company issues new and improved guidance for their shareholders in 2021. And finally, there's a surprising health ingredient that is about to take off in sports nutrition. Nutrition business today. Nutrition business today. Nutrition business today. The facts, fiction, and future of nutrition with Tom Arts, co-founder of Nutrition Business Journal and managing director of Nutrition Business Advisors. Now here's the co-host of Nutrition Business Today, Izzy Davis. Bill Weiland is an icon in the natural products industry who Tom has known for many years. And today, you're going to get to learn all about his life and his career. Bill is the co-founder and serves as CEO and president at Presence Marketing, one of the top brokers in the $280 billion natural products industry. He is known as one of the kingmakers for getting products into distribution. He also puts his money where his mouth is and is an angel investor in companies that he believes will be successful. Based on 30 years of experience, he knows which products will work and which products won't work in the retail environment. He's committed his entire life to the natural wellness movement, and he lives the lifestyle himself. We are honored to have Bill today to talk about natural products and what he sees as some of the trends in the market. But before we get there, here are some of the top news developments in the nutrition business. America's number one vitamin brand is Nature Made. You've probably seen their products all over Costco, Target, Walgreens, CVS. Their parent company, Pharmavite, just acquired a San Diego-based women's health company, Eucora. Eucora has a proprietary targeted formula to address urinary tract infections. They also have a vaginal probiotic to help and maintain a healthy microbiome, as well as bladder control product called Control. Pharmavite is excited to bulk up their women's health portfolio as they already operate menopause relief brand, Equel. DSM, global nutrition giant, leader in personalized nutrition, purchases a new factory in Poland, specifically designed to produce customized nutritional products. Hmm. Glambia, a global dairy company and nutritional ingredient maker, raises their earnings expectations for the year, reporting revenue was up 20% in the first half of 2021. Time to buy some stock, maybe. Finally, sales of colostrum are expected to soar over the next six years, specifically in the sports nutrition market. What is with exercise freaks? They'll drink anything if it helps them perform better. Colostrum is cow's milk produced in the initial few days after giving birth. It is high in growth factors and certain peptides that can help increase physical performance and enhance immunity. Coming up, we'll meet Bill Weiland and Tom is going to ask him lots of interesting questions. We'll be right back. They call it the Wall Street Journal of our industry. Whether you are looking to give your team the tools they need to become industry experts, or simply looking to understand the trends and latest developments in the health and wellness space, Nutrition Business Journal is where to look. NBJ releases 10 trusted reports per year, such as the Personalized Nutrition Report, the Sports Nutrition Report, and the Sales Channel Report. This is where you'll find detailed data on the sales, growth, and market trends within various categories. They also have a bi-weekly newsletter called NBJ Analyst Take, and you can start by subscribing there for some free charts and graphs. Visit nutritionbusinessjournal.com and click newsletter to get started. This is Nutrition Business Today. 
I'm Tom Arts. If you're an entrepreneur and have tried to take a product to retail in the natural products industry, you may well know my next guest, Bill Weiland. If you don't know him, you should know him. Bill is the founder of one of the leading and top brokerage firms in our $280 billion industry called Presence Marketing. He founded this firm many, many years ago, has been in the industry for over 30 years. And this um, brokerage firm, which probably started small, like every entrepreneur, has now become a juggernaut in the industry. And some people say it is one of the key gatekeepers and that Bill is the kingmaker of this industry when it comes to getting distribution for natural products. And natural products include organic, natural foods, uh, beverages, um, snacks, and dietary supplements, and personal care products and beyond. I've had the pleasure to know Bill for many years, and just recently in the last year got to meet him and uh, cajoled him into being one of our keynotes at the MBJ CEO Summit this year. And we're very honored to have him because he sees the world through a different lens. I haven't run into him as much in the past because he, I didn't think he was into supplements, but I found out he actually is and handles a lot of supplement products, um, both big brands and small brands, many of the brands you've heard of. So with that, I'd like to welcome you, Bill Weiland, to my podcast here today, Nutrition Business Today. Excellent. Great to be here, Tom. Thank you. First of all, where are you, where are, you at? where are we talking to you from? I know you uh, have multiple uh, offices and places you live around the country. Yes, coming to you live from Barrington Hills, Illinois, at the affectionately named Bellagio, our private home here. Great. Well, why don't we start off there? Because I was going to get there. So I came to visit your um, offices, which are pretty uh, interesting and unique, probably one of the more unique um, places I've ever visited in my 25 years in this industry. Tell us what, why it was called that and what happens at Bellagio. Oh, sure thing. So my uh, great friend and chiropractor, Lloyd Fielder, uh, named our place just because, you know, it is a nice little riff on a place we like to visit in, in the world. And it's not the Bellagio in Italy. It's the Bellagio in Las Vegas. So being Bill, this, of course, is the Bellagio. But we just built a little campus here. So, you know, after 42 years in the industry, Tom, I know it, thousands of people. And we wanted to provide an opportunity for people to come together and socialize and exchange ideas you know, we have a brick and mortar office 20 minutes from here, but at this place, it's just a little more conducive to relaxed conversation, uh, better quantity and quality of time, kind of talking about love, life, the food business, supplements, uh, history of the industry, etc. Good. And, and do you... Um... Let's go back to your firm, Presence Marketing, and I know you have lots of companies and you're an entrepreneur, and I want to talk about your investment stuff as well, but tell us about um, you know, Presence and what its vision is and what you do there uh, that's so, I think, important to the industry at Presence, which is you know, more than Bellagio, of course. Sure. So I got into eating healthy about 42 years ago, so I've not had a job outside of the natural products industry in the last four decades. And I started Presence Marketing in January of 1990 with the objective being to build an organization that could help build small and large brands alike that are aligned with our ethos of highest quality products. So clean ingredient deck, uh, you know, organic agriculture, you know, now evolving to regenerative agriculture. So basically putting our resources against um, you know, the, the, uh, the heartbeat of the industry, you know, the founding principal members who are attempting to improve the food system in the United States, which is highly sophisticated as we witnessed during 2020 
when much of the economy was closed down and this was deemed essential business with a huge spike in food, I mean, double digit growth from one or 2%, the response time and the ability to pivot and provide food during a tumultuous time was really remarkable. So we just want to continue to do our job to take that prolific, you know, the energy that makes us all tick and influence the production of higher quality materials so that the end result in complicated consumer products are better for the humans, humans consuming them. And then, you know, we know that the solution or one of the big solutions to uh, improving the quality of our environment is flipping the food system toward proper production of animals and regenerative agriculture, where of course you are then sequestering carbon from the atmosphere. So helping this food production segment not contribute to the greenhouse gases that may be affecting uh, temperatures across the globe. So, so Bill, you're you're a brokerage firm, and you and you you represent products just like a normal brokerage firm, but you're well beyond that because what you're talking about is a vision to really change people's health, which is what you and I both share in common, um, and do it um, by using your business prowess and skills to help make sure the right products get distributed. And um, that's really interesting because you're not just a broker. But beyond that, I know that you also put your money where your mouth is. And one of the first things I heard about you many years ago before I met you was that you got to get Bill to invest in your business, right? And uh, he, he takes his brokerage firm to another level when you actually trade you know, services for equity sometimes I've heard and actually write checks yourself. Now, I, of course, was one, I was involved with one of those companies, uh, Barnana, and um, they came to you. And uh, I remember the day they came back uh, from the meeting, they were the most excited they'd ever been. They said, we got Bill Weiland to invest. <laughs> so <laughs> could, you, could you share how you move from being a brokerage firm with your larger vision to also being an investor and why that's so important? Sure. If you were to simplify it, we're a food broker. You know, we're paid on a commission basis to go build brands, albeit uh, exclusively value-added brands, natural and organic. As we looked at our business model over the years, so going back, say, you know, 30 years, a couple years into our journey, we recognized that there wasn't the same kind of value proposition when you're building a service company in terms of market value. We do create plenty of jobs, long-term jobs. We have 500 full-time people and our job or our business is tough to compete with because we expend a lot of calories per dollar. It's high touch, it's labor intensive, but our diversification centered around just being a higher value provider for industry companies, all, you know, distributors, retailers, brands, among other things, we, we, are, we have professional tasters on staff, me being uh, one of them, of course, and we do innovation every week of the year. So we're doing professional tastings and helping brands create products or perfect products. We also consult on packaging and messaging and con uh, communication with consumers. And then in order to provide us the opportunity to stay in the business long term, we decided that we would invest in brands created a fund called Omnipresence where we swapped service for equity to get on the cap tables. And then as our business became more profitable, we started to write checks also. And that created an additional revenue stream for us, which again, anchors us as a long-term hold company. So the need to commercialize the value out of presence marketing isn't as key to our long-term financial health because we are assisting these other brands in building by, by providing working 
uh, working capital, and in many instances, enjoying the fruits of that labor and process by uh, working with them all the way to exit. Great. So, Bill, how do you decide what to invest in? I mean, um, the numbers, I think, are staggering. You told me one time, I think I got it wrong, but maybe uh, you'll tell me the exact numbers. I mean, how many products um, come your way every month? And, um, and then you certainly, you know, only select a certain number of that. And then you certain select a certain lower number to invest in. How do you decide which ones, you know, tickle your interest to the point where you're willing to bring them down that investment side? I mean, I, I'm almost asking a general question like, you know, how do you know this, this brand's going to be successful? I know that's a hard question, but start with the numbers and then tell us, how do you get Bill Weiland to write a check? Gotcha. Thanks. Okay. Well, there's about a hundred brands that try to attempt to hire presence marketing on about a six and a half or seven week cycle. Over the last 10 years, we've averaged a, picking up about 2% of those. And after doing this for four decades plus, you know, meaning being totally tuned into the natural products industry, I feel confident that I can walk into a room, take a look at a brand, taste it, tell you exactly what's going to sell what's not and why and which brands are potentially scalable because what i often hear when i'm on stage and talking with other investors they always say what's the most important thing you know question is that so when you're looking at a brand what's the most important thing they always say the people the people the people the people and i say well that's a great answer in general i would have to say that is true with any business however in from an investment standpoint for me it's category first then it's product, and then it's people. Because part of the responsibility of the community and the investor community specifically is that if you invest in an entrepreneurial business, you know, usually, usually that same entrepreneur is not capable of running a $50 million company as a president and CEO. So you've got to be responsible to help plug in professional management along the way to help foster the, the greatest you know, end game and growth opportunity for the brand. So for us, we first want to say, hey, we think this stuff can be effective, meaning it's going to sell. And then it's sort of a mutual dance. Brands say, we'd love to have you involved. We'd love to have you on the cap table. And I've got to do my best job to assess risk. Over the years, you learn certain things, Tom. A lot of times when you're early money in with these nice projects, it sounds great. Right. You've got these lower valuations and you invest capital. And then what happens along the way, we as investors sometimes have limited influence on the growth trajectory of the brands and how they spend their money. So they overspend, let's say, in the area of you know advertising or even promotion, burn a bunch of cash. So they built its 10 or 12 million in sales, but now they need additional capital. They're running out of money later money starts to come in and it minimizes the value for the early investors. So one thing we have learned and what we're trying to teach other investors is you have to be complicit in really building the long-term strategy at the early onset for these brands. So you can see coming around the corner, these various challenges that may be, you know, supply chain issues or competition, but also cash needs and responsibly measure how you can build this brand 
without just chasing top line. You go back 20 years, Tom, and brands were just building top line. There wasn't a lot of talk about profitability as long as there were decent margins and loosely, let's say, a path to profitability or even just continued aggressive growth in the future. Now investors really want to see that there are sustainable margins and that these brands are either running profitably or that they have a very clear path to a higher productive outcome, a higher, excuse me, profitable uh, position and, and uh, advanced outcome. I, I, I agree with that. It's so it's, it, the game is harder, actually, is what you're saying, and gotten more competitive. Yep. Um, For sure. Let me, let me go back to your comment about people versus product versus category, because, you know, I've invested myself um, and you, you always say, you know, you want the right people. And I understand what you're saying, but let's let's actually take people out of the equation for a sec. Um, categories and products. Um, focus, um, give me your thoughts on which categories uh, you've made money on over the years and which ones have made a big difference and what you're excited about now. That's a lead into another question on trends that I'm going to ask later, but let's start with categories. Like which categories have you been excited about and which ones are you most excited about and which products that go in those categories? Thanks. I mean, I would say uh, right off the top, a uh, category like grain-free, you know, grain-free, and we've invested in and had productive outcomes with Simple Mills and Siete Foods, among others. And grain-free, we picked over seven and a half years ago, before it was really a big deal. And we were quite confident that this was going to be a long-term play. There are numerous factors driving grain-free, not the least of which, if you consume grains at a at a uh, very aggressive clip in terms of percentage of your calories you're likely to develop some digestive issues and gain weight and perhaps even uh, build some inflammation which can lean towards systemic inflammation so i'm an omnivore and i'm a fan of all food groups but grains do have this phytic acid this nutrient blocker and recent research of course indicates that if you uh, compress your carbohydrates as a total percentage of your macros, you're probably going to have better balance, blood sugar levels, weight management, et cetera. So for me, grain-free was you've got the small percentage who really understand the, the, the nutrient blockers and the inflammatory response, but that is an aggressive small group of, of committed citizens then you have people that are just like, wow, this grain-free stuff is generally lower in carbohydrates. So like the crackers and the cereals and the tortillas are lower in carbohydrates. And then you have that person that says, well, gee, tortillas and crackers are kind of vapid nutritionally. There's not a lot there, but wait, all of a sudden my crackers and tortillas are made from things like almonds and coconut and cassava. So they're more nutrient dense. So I value those as not just the carrier for the good stuff, but all of a sudden those are sustainable, high value calories. So when you put that all together, it was a layup for us. We said grain-free is gonna take over many categories. It's not gonna be a solar flare-up that dies down. In fact, it's gonna be building sustainable business long-term. And I would confidently say, Tom, I don't like to project out, let's say five decades, but 50 years from now, Grain-free will be dominating most categories in the store. I'm 100% confident in that statement. I like your, I like it because you didn't even pick a, a, I mean, it's almost a macro category that cuts across other categories, right? Exactly. Yeah. Another one, Tom, would be uh, collagen and bone broth. I really love this category. Oh, yeah. You've talked to me about that. And, and actually, after I visited you, I I, uh, I started, I always took collagen, but I bought a, a whole bunch of bone broth, so. Nice. Well, you know, it, it's just traditional nutrition. And the, the common theme that you will find when a thing becomes a thing, right, 
the why is really important. And a lot of people don't concentrate on that. They act like it's always really mysterious and it, and it isn't. Coconut water became a big deal because of the five electrolytes it contains and the unusually high concentration of potassium. Otherwise it would have just been an interesting fruit based beverage, right? So the why is critically important. And with collagen and bone broth, I mean, if you take a human cadaver, post-mortem, there's actually more collagen in the bone material than there is calcium. So the, the amino acids comprised uh, within the, the material around the animal joint is filled with things like proline, glycine, alanine, arginine, glutamine, hard to get amino acids that are not involved in construction, constructing muscle tissue, but rather building collagen, you know, the elastin, uh, uh, contributing to synovial fluid, and tendons and ligaments getting direct nourishment. So skin is brighter and more taut. You feel more relaxed and flexible. You have better recovery times. There's an anti-inflammatory component to collagen and bone broth. So people who start to consume that, you know, it's a commitment. They feel better and that's why they stay with it. And that that is why that has become a rocket ship. Bill, is that, the, it, it, uh, sorry, oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. It, it's just a no. technical question. You said collagen and bone broth. Don't you get collagen from bone broth or are you talk about collagen on top of bone broth? You do. And so the thing about bone broth is it's a little bit more of a commitment for people. So we make our own here at the house and then also bonafide bone broth uh, we consume on a regular basis. So a 24 ounce bag of bonafide uh, bone broth is chock full of collagen. And you can see that when you put your broth in the refrigerator at 40 degrees, if it's got these gelatinous effects, it means it's got those building block amino acids that you really want. So the collagen is synthesized from bone broth and then converted into a powdered format, let's say. So a brand like Ancient Nutrition or Vital Proteins and many others have these high quality portable shelf-stable powders that you can just put into a blender. So I do think drinking straight bone broth, always the best because you're getting the most natural delivery unprocessed of the collagen material, plus all kinds of organic acids and hydration. But I do think that the synthesized collagen is a very reliable substitute for on the go, or if it's just your preferred way of getting those amino acids into your system. Got it. Thank you. Um, so, uh, and you mentioned a couple of brands, which is fine. Um, you know, everybody wants to know and bonafide ancient nutrition, all good products. Um, um, so I'm going to take a quick break right now, Bill, uh, because uh, we have a, a couple of sponsors and uh, they want to get on here um, very quickly, uh, just a minute or two, and then um, we'll come back. And I'd love to talk to you about supplements, Amazon, and your own personal lifestyle. Um, if that's Nutrition okay. Business Advisors. Strategic and capital connections to improve your business. We help our clients by facilitating strategic relationships throughout the industry, conducting custom market research projects, such as the size and the trends of the astaxanthin supplement market, and portfolio analysis, business planning, and competitive landscaping to help prepare your business for a sale or investment. To hear more about our services or get in touch, visit nutritionbusinessadvisors.com. That's nutritionbusinessadvisors.com. Hello, welcome back. This is Nutrition Business Today, and I'm Tom Arts. My special guest again today is Bill Weiland, founder of Presence Marketing, a natural products expert, an investor, and one of the gatekeepers of products trying to get into distribution. Um, Bill, um, we talked a lot about categories and presence and your investment thesis. I'd love to talk now a little bit about supplements because a lot of the people listening to this are going to be interested in supplements. And I had the misnomer 
that you didn't really care that much about supplements until I went to Bellagio and saw all the supplements that you are representing. Tell us um, your thoughts on the supplement category versus food. I mean, and I know there's no good or bad. I mean, I'm a believer you should get as much as you can from food. Um, but when you can't get it from food, I'm a, I think you need to supplement uh, particular nutrients like D3, et cetera. But that's not about my opinion. What's your opinion about the supplement industry from your perch as this broker that sees everything go by? So I consider supplements, even concentrated foods. So to me, collagen goes in the supplement bucket. And then of course, vitamins and minerals of all types and enzymes, um, other deep concentration foods like, you know, powdered greens or um, berries that have high anthocyanin content, etc. So I'm a big believer in supplements and as much food like as possible. There are certain breakout nutrients that I think are ultra critical for human health. Like I take 10,000 international units of vitamin D every day. I get my blood work done a couple times a year and I had good vitamin D levels at about 40 and now they're in the seventies after, you know, you know, getting tested six months of 10,000 units a day. So things that keep your immune health sturdy. So uh, zinc, you know, vitamin C additionally, and then what serves us the best, I believe products that contribute to gut health because you have the whole brain gut connection. So specifically, you know, prebiotic fiber, uh, probiotic strains, uh, kefir grains, and, and really just high quality food enlivening the microbiome is critical. I would be so bold as to say, I can't really imagine having a poor functioning mind whilst having a productive, healthy digestive system. So that is something to me that's critically important. And then think about the, the longevity aspect of the rigors of life, adaptogenic herbs like the ashwagandhas and American ginsengs. Uh, things like medicinal mushrooms, powerful products that, and by the way, a macro trend right now is mushrooms, both culinary and medicinal mushrooms. Believe it, that one is a, a rocket ship. And, and, and sometimes you know, and sometimes even beyond medicinal, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Psilocybin, anybody? But yes, yeah. exactly. And, and then, you know, a, a substance like CBD, like all we need is the government to come and say CBD, 20 to 25 milligrams, max dose per consumption event and say 40 or 50 a day and the floodgates are open and we're headed for a $20 billion category. CBD works. We have this cannabinoid receptor system in our body and these cannabinoids send signals to cells, have an anti-inflammatory effect, all kinds of other reach in terms of health benefits. And again, if you commit to CBDs, you feel more relaxed, you're likely sleeping better. If you've got chronic pain or inflammation, you're likely seeing results there too. So I'm a big believer, get diet right, food right, augmentative therapies like body work, dry brush massage, physical massage, get your feet in the grass, walk in the grass, grounding and earthing, do a little research on that benefit in terms of resetting your body, removing electromagnetic frequency, and just attuning you with nature and also reducing inflammation, which is scientifically proven, by the way. Bill, let me, um, let me ask you, um, you sort of went into your personal lifestyle and, and maybe we'll end with one qu last question about that. Um, uh, but let me, um, let me pick your brain once more about retail. Um, you're you're going to be one of our keynote speakers at the summit this year, our 24th year in, in San Diego in three weeks. Can't wait to see you. And, um, you know, we we know you're going to talk about everything that you know well, but we are you're also going to get questions from 
these the audience about the you know a word right in our in our uh, in our world right now Amazon, and so Amazon is um, you know done a huge uh, tectonic shift of buying to Amazon during COVID. Even it's like accelerated. I, I've heard from insiders at Amazon that the COVID. Uh, pandemic has accelerated their growth by two or three years of how much they're going to take over market share for distribution. You historically build your businesses through brick and mortar. I know you know about Amazon and it's impacting your brands and your business. Tell us what your thoughts are on how a company succeeds in this omni-channel world with such a powerful retailer. Yep. Well, I, I think when you uh, get down to it, though, the human experience is real important. Like if you go back, you know, 25 years, uh, people would say, well, now with HBO and Cinemax and Showtime, nobody's going to go to the movies anymore. And we've seen that. But I mean, movie theaters had record years, even when there was all this accessibility of content. And as humans, we're social creatures. And there's no substitute for being in a retail environment and making sure that your basil leaves don't have brown edging. And all it takes, especially with fresh food, which is a lot tougher than things like, you know, long-term shelf uh, supplies, high shelf life supplies, it's tough to get the full experience through the mail, if you will. And really, I think Amazon has been critically important especially for people that don't have act easy access to higher quality food. And there's also a pricing component that has been very valuable. But when you look at what has emerged, a huge percentage of all of these consumable products in particular still go through brick and mortar. You know, you've had Kroger and Walmart and Whole Foods and everybody kind of developed their own in, in, in Whole Foods case, it's in concert with Amazon, but developing their own internal engines in order to capture that value of saving people the time, especially in outlying areas or concentrated uh, metro areas where people don't want to get stuck in traffic and getting them the supplies they need. So I think at the end of the day, it's not going to be a bunch of distribution centers, housing product that is going to be shipped to people on the food side. It's still going to be coming through brick and mortar. And I think the store traffic at those stores is going to be very high decades down the road. Now you might see some shifting in retail, you know, maybe smaller stores are going to come into vogue and even more frequent trips to the store buying things like perishables. You're already seeing some retailers scaling back on frozen and emphasizing the perimeter fresh. So there's an appeal there that I think can't be captured for, with a company like Amazon. So I still believe, you know, they're critically important. I think there's going to be some balancing out from a competitive standpoint over time. And I believe that on the consumable side, it's still going to be going through even the um, e-commerce aspect. It's going to be creatively going through the brick and mortar machine. We've got a cocktail brand called Drinksmith. It's a fresh cocktail. It's HPP juice with booze on top, and they're developing partnerships with retailers to ship in various markets within two hours. You get fresh cocktails at your house and the retailer is just housing it in their back room. It's never even hitting the shelf and then boom, boom. So that's a form of delivery e-commerce that's still very much brick and mortar based. So that's my point about a lot of people have said to me that just basically it was going to be distribution centers and people are going to be buying all their food in the mail eventually. And it's not going to be anything like that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, um, it is interesting that Amazon also has so much money. They're buying brick and mortar and setting up stores and, and um, they've got all kinds of experiments going on. They purchased whole foods as you know. So it's interesting. Um, 
you know, just real quick answer to this question, because I want to move to the last question, which is uh, mom and pop retailers. I last time I counted, there were eight, 8,000 of them or some some seem some people think more than 9,000, but somewhere between seven and 10,000 mom and pops. Uh, people are pre pre predicting their demise for two decades. They're not going away, but are they are they still struggling? Are those small stores going to be around 10 years from now? I think they will, Tom, but it's like anything else. You know, you got to evolve with the times and they've got to look at their particular market and their customer needs. And, and here's what always wins, though. Like even in a depressed, a, a depressed economy, the high value providers that give service like the four seasons of the world still thrive because people love to be treated with respect and accommodation. They love elegance. They love service. So if I'm a small retailer, I know I'm not going to win on price. I cannot be both low cost provider and small. So I'm going to personalize and really get involved with my community. I'm going to bring in companies to do cooking classes and seminars on their products. I'm going to build intimacy with the community and I'm going to develop better service. I'd make myself accessible. If people had an emergency off hours and needed something, I would have a number you could call. I would deliver, we would deliver products. So I think it's just being more nimble and effective and really having outreach into the community and seeing how to best serve the needs of your valuable customers. Great. So Bill, um, we're out of time, but if, um, let me ask you this one last personal health question. Coming out of COVID-19, um, we've all learned a lot about people's health. Um, we've all learned a lot about our own health and our own families. And I hope that your family was safe during COVID-19. Um, you know, there's now, it looks like we've conquered that with vaccines. I'm not gonna go into vaccines, but uh, it, you know, the world's coming back. Um, personally, what are you doing differently since COVID-19 that, that you've learned to make yourself healthier uh, and that you do on a daily basis since COVID-19? I know you do a lot of things, just want one thing that you've, that you've changed. I would say I've gotten even more tuned in to making sure that, you know, everything from weight management, so calories really count, less even natural fun food, chips, snacks, et cetera, just realizing our responsibility personally. If you look at the data, it was very clearly those most affected had comorbidities, you know, were overweight, we're, we're largely unhealthy and we've got to find a better way to protect the vulnerable among us. Our individual responsibility is just making ourselves hardier. So better stress management, better quality food, slow down a little bit more and make sure that you're getting that body work. In our case, we've got access to things like steam room and hyperbaric oxygen. Um, invest in and surround yourself with the best tools that you can to make yourself as strong as possible. I think that's sage advice in, in the easiest and best of times, but certainly after COVID, I have even doubled down on my long-term health habits. I make sure I'm drinking my high quality digestive uh, alcoholic drinks on a nightly basis too, Tom, because I think yeah. that makes me stronger. But yeah. yeah, I think it's just that. It's just a more keen attunement. I'm getting blood work twice a year now and analysis of that and reacting to it. So just again, putting more emphasis on staying strong because you never know what's coming around the corner. Great, thank you, Bill. That's uh, that's great advice, and I, I agree with you on all fronts there. And uh, on the alcohol, I have been trying to lower it, but you convinced me that, um, like the Swedish people say, everything in moderation is okay. So, uh, yep, frequency is fine. Frequency is fine. Just watch quantity. Nutrition business today with creator and host Tom Arts. We welcome your feedback. 
Email us with your comments, questions, and suggestions. NutritionBusinessToday at gmail.com. And if you like the show, please give us a five-star rating and don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. Nutrition Business Today is produced in collaboration with Navigator Digital Media. And I want to thank our staff at Nutrition Business Advisors, especially Petra Lingenbrink, Maggie Filan, Erica Rommel, and Emma Ring. I'm Izzy Davis. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.